This is the Come Up Steps to Success podcast with your hosts, James Lawson and Courtney Steven. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Come Up Podcast, where every week we bring you the steps to success. And today I have one of my newest friends with me on the show, David Ogle. I hope I said that right. He's the founder of Dose Performance Coaching. And I was recently introduced to David by a longtime friend of mine and ex-teammate Vince Luciani, who, if you remember, was a guest on one of our more popular episodes, episode number 14, The Legacy Entrepreneur. So, you know, if it's a recommendation of Vince's, is definitely coming with high praise. So David is a lot like Vince in the sense that he's a a purebred, amazing human being. So just being around him, he has that great energy that I wanted to share with the rest of the Come Up podcast listeners. So enough of me talking. Let's introduce y'all to my main man, David. David, how are you doing today, man? I'm doing really well. I've never been called a purebred. I'm very excited. I feel like a kind a Clydesdale or something. <laughs> You're like one of the one of the chosen ones. That's what it is, man. It's it's the <laughs> highest of compliments. That's that's awesome. I've always envisioned myself more as like a Shetland pony or something like that. <laughs> that's amazing, man. Hey, well, I um I was looking over your blog and well there I'm I'm gonna get to that in a second because I, I love your blog because it's so easy to digest, but I noticed that you're you kind of got a thing for coffee, yeah, just a little <laughs> yep. bit, just a little bit, right? So just, I, just a little, right? Yeah, yeah. So I gotta ask, how do you have your coffee? Oh man, I'm actually <laughs> I'm pretty boring when it comes to coffee. I, like I feel like people expect like, oh my god, this guy loves coffee. He probably has some cool brewing mechanism. Um, generally, like nine nine days. In 10, I just drink my coffee black. Uh, and I'm a huge fan of bulletproof coffee. So every once in a while, like today, I was like, okay, today's a big day. I'm doing a podcast. Got to look my best. Uh, <laughs> I obviously need a bulletproof coffee. So I, I, I went over to Whole Foods and got one, which oh, is like the world's most expensive bulletproof coffee. I didn't know that you could actually buy a bulletproof coffee. I thought you had to like take a tablespoon of butter and just put it in there on your own. So. I've made it myself a lot, but on my lazier days, um, yeah, there, there's some places that carry it. I found a lot of Whole Foods have it right now. That's awesome, man. I'm not I've... sponsored by Whole Foods. <laughs> this episode is not sponsored by Whole Foods, but yeah, I've never tried the Bulletproof coffee <laughs> myself, but um, a lot of people say that it really works for them. It gives them like energy and like the, I guess the staying power to like kind of make it through those long mornings, I guess, right? Yeah. To be honest, for me... Um, I studied abroad my junior year of university in India, Tibet, and Nepal. And it was a, a Tibetan studies program. So we spent a good amount of time trekking through the mountains of Tibet at just incredible altitudes for I can barely breathe. And every morning, uh, breakfast was, it's called Sampa, which is this like powdery grain that just, it's like oatmeal, but dry. Um, and then black tea with yak butter in it. And and I remember everyone on the program was like, oh, tea is disgusting. I was like, oh, I, I kind of like it. <laughs> like the saltiness of the butter and the tea, and super energizing and filled you up, like you said, like really sustained you. Mm-hmm. And then I remember when the whole bulletproof coffee thing came out, I was like, why would anyone do that? And then I tried it. It's like, oh, it, it's just like what I would drink in Tibet. I love it. Just like it. the good old times in the Tibetan mountains. 
Yeah, just way less cold. Right. What's it What's it like over there, man? I mean, I know it's probably a lot different than life in the U.S. or Canada, but like what what kind of interested you about that location that you wanted to go over there study abroad? Um, I'm trying to think of the, the semi-short story. Like, And then we had an hour-long podcast about why David traveled abroad. Um, <laughs> so I was in university. At one point, I thought I would be a Spanish major. That didn't end up happening. But at the time, I was selecting where I wanted to go abroad. There was still this idea of Spanish might be a major or a minor. So all the countries that I was looking at were... Uh, Buenos Aires, like no, Argentina, but like in Buenos Aires or Chile or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I had a couple of friends who were doing the same and we we're filling out our applications. And of the application, you had to put your second choice just in case you didn't get your first. And all my friends put a second Spanish speaking country. And, and I remember my friend Jackie was like, Would you put for yours? Like, Tibet. Like, what? Well, what if you get that? <laughs> it's like, I, I don't know. It, that'd be kind of cool. She's like, okay. And that was that was the moment. I walked away. Like, what if I did get that? Right. Oh my gosh. What if I went to Tibet? And I'm from Idaho originally. So the idea of being in Tibet, like at that point, the only thing I really knew about it was there was a movie called Seven Years in Tibet with Brad Pitt. Oh. Um <laughs> and, and that was all I I really knew. And and like I knew who the Dalai Lama was, and I knew there was stuff, but mm-hmm. I was actually pretty uninformed about the politics of Tibet, the culture, religion, everything. And my, my interest just skyrocketed. And I actually changed my application and switched it over to Tibet was my first choice, and I went. Nice. So when you went over there, obviously yeah. it was an experience like none other. Like what was one of your best memories from uh, that whole experience? I'll give you two memories. So one of the best memories was, and it probably answers your first question a little bit better, was experiencing a whole different world. I mean, in in Tibet, it's, you know, you're 12,000 feet plus up in altitude at all times, sometimes more. Like the the highest we got was 18,000 feet, which was just insane. Mm -hmm. There's not a lot of vegetation. There's yaks walking around and just this, experience of absolute barren landscape and yet immense beauty and that was pretty awesome um and it's it's a very humbling it's one of those moments that i've had in my life where i feel so small in such a large place and yet so connected to it Mm -hmm. Uh, it was pretty powerful but and then on a personal level that was it was actually kind of a turning point and it's funny like we're you know, here chatting and, and knowing that we're here to chat about like leadership and, and startups and all that. And if I hadn't had that moment, mm-hmm. I, no, nothing would have happened in my life that has happened. That was a moment where I realized what it means to have integrity and that my word cre- creates my identity. And, and to be completely honest, I went into that program as like a very stereotypical um, jock college frat boy type dude Mm -hmm. Uh, and and i walked out of it having spent hundreds of hours meditating um i did a 10-day silent meditation retreat all with no communication eye contact or anything and you know it's 
I, I was the guy who went abroad and was like, it's not going to be a life-changing experience, but it's going to be awesome. And I came back and I was like, it was awesome. And it was absolutely life-changing. Wow. Yeah. That, I mean, I don't see how that couldn't be life-changing. I mean, humbling for sure, just to be in that whole different environment and see the different things that people put an emphasis on or the different things that are important in other cultures and whatnot. But then, I mean, like 10 days fasting on communication like I, I feel like it takes it takes a lot of effort to go ten minutes without grabbing my phone sometimes. <laughs> yeah, it's it's been a really good cornerstone for me. I think nowadays there's such a a common communication around or conversation around social media and phones and our addiction to outward influence and experience and all of that. And I I was just so to have that happen when I was like 17 or I guess I was 20 um and it was it was this moment of I actually need nothing and so everything I bring into my life I'm actively choosing and and bringing in in a way that builds and generates my life rather than accidentally just being full of things Mm, yeah having purpose that's cool man yeah 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 there's a there's an intention to it all right, so I wanna I wanna go back a little bit because you know we started out talking about coffee, you know, and that <laughs> that's kind of been one of my new favorite uh, snacks to snack on over the last twelve months. I must admit, and um, my wife got me drinking this stuff, the white cup with the green logo, you know, that expensive coffee. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That stuff from the I, West I lived Coast, in man. For five years. See, that's what I'm. That's what I wanted to know about. I feel like you probably had a little more experience with the Starbucks than I did, because you you live in Vancouver right now, right? Yeah, yeah. I've lived in Vancouver for five years, and then I lived in Seattle for five years before that. So, tell us a little bit about how you ended up in Vancouver, and like where you started out, where you where you uh, grew up, and then where you went to school, and how you eventually got to uh, Vancouver. I would love to do that. I just had my first like radio moment. I'm like, thank you, thank you. That's a very good question. <laughs> Thanks, John. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, no, I won't do that again. Sorry. No. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> I I moved to Seattle. Uh, really the only two things I cared about other than, you know, moving to Seattle and I had a good network of friends up there were, were I wanted to be a bartender and I wanted to be able to ride my bike to work. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I walked into like 50 different bars asking if they were hiring and all of them said no. And like five of them were like, well, what experience do you have? I was like, none. Like, <laughs> yeah, we're not hiring. That's fresh out <laughs> so of college, right? That. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was right out of university and um, I, I quickly learned that in order to be a par- bartender, you have to have been a bartender, which I still haven't quite figured out how that works, but oh, man. I think I'm past that point in my life. Uh, <laughs> but then my second priority of, I wanted to be able to ride my bike. I just had this like vision in my head of I'm moving to a big city and that's what you do. Like you, you bike commute. That sounds really cool. Mm-hmm. It's way less glamorous, especially in Seattle. It's super hilly and rainy. I did it for a year and quickly got exhausted of smelling like mildew. But, right. And showing up um, at work, just was, drenched in sweat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And fortunately I found a job that it was somewhat conducive to. Okay, so I, okay. I, there's this, this company called Lululemon 
Um, they had a store about four miles from where I lived, which was a perfect little bike ride. Uh, I walked in to see if they had a job. Uh, at the urging of a friend, I didn't really know a ton about the company, but a friend was like, they have guy stuff, and I don't see any guys working there. You, you should check it out. And walked in, found the tallest person I could find because for some reason I felt like that meant they were authoritative. Uh, asked them if they were hiring. She's like, nope. Um, her name's Jill Spratt. She still works for the company. She's a good friend of mine. I've told her this story so many times. So wait, she yeah, was the tallest person and she was actually in charge? So, yeah. Long story short, she ended up being the manager. Um, wow. Asked her if they were hiring. The she's like, no. True. Like, oh, okay. And then for the next, honestly, 10 minutes, which at that point in my life, minutes of talking to a random person in a retail location mm-hmm. felt like an hour. I was just, I was like, why are we still talking? You're not hiring. Right. Um, we talked about my experience studying abroad and yoga and what it meant to me and, you know, my thoughts on leadership. I was like, this is really weird. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the conversation, she looks at me and she's like, you know what? We're always looking for great people. You should apply. Like, okay, thanks. And I walked out and I remember my friend, like, how'd it go? Like, I don't know. Like, well, are they hiring? No. Oh, so we're bad. Well, they told me to apply. Like, so it went well. I'm like, I don't know. And a week <laughs> later, I had a job. Wow. So I started working at Lululemon. Um, this was 2009, and I I got lucky in a lot of ways. The company was just right on the cusp of blowing up. Um, it it had been in the U.S. for a little bit, but it was still relatively unknown and. Um, so when I joined, the company was valued at, or it, its profit was $350 million. And when I left um, last year, it was $2.4 billion. So I, I was wow. there for $2 billion of growth, which like, for me, what that really lands is the immense growth and expansion and perspective of what it means to build a brand. And, and I was there mostly through the lens of leadership. So I spent a year working in stores and again, because of a lot of the growth, it was, it was this funny conversation of we're growing. We've got all this work to do. Anyone have an idea or keen to do something? And the opportunities were really endless. Mm-hmm. And, and it was a, a, a really strong culture of what do you want to do and how do we support you in doing it? It's just, it's just this really positive environment. And I was sucked in and quickly realized that I have a deep, deep passion around the world of leadership, talking about leadership. I can talk about leadership ad nauseum and still not get bored. Mm-hmm. Um, and Lululemon really became a platform for me to explore it and understand what that meant for me and how I could influence support others in that. And uh, I thought landed myself in a role where that was essentially my job. And it was just a little bit, uh, a, almost a year after I had joined and I was doing leadership and at that point, I didn't under, understand what coaching was, but mm-hmm. I was essentially doing leadership and coaching work. Uh, and my job just continued to grow in that capacity until ultimately it was, it was a conversation of vision and goals. Of, we think you should move to Vancouver. It's like, okay, that mm-hmm. sounds cool. Wow. It's another rainy city. It can't be that hard of a transition. And <laughs> so I came up and joined the Source Support Center, which is Lululemon's head office here in Vancouver. Wow. I mean, that's 
that's actually a pretty cool story because like you said it it seemed almost as though uh the chips fell in a kind of a lucky way because you might have only been looking for like a retail job trying to you know get in front of a cash register get on the floor sell some soft goods and it wasn't only i mean it wasn't really your vision the way you described it it was more like the conversation you had just put it in those people's mind who um who were making the decisions that you had other skills that could probably be polished and refined and then used in a way more valuable way for the company you're spot on my my vision was to work there for a year make as much money as i could and then quit and go travel around the world and that that was one of the lessons I learned quickly was I saw there were two lives I could live. There was a life where David did all the fun things that he loved doing. And then there was the life where David had a crusty corporate job. Um, And I knew I was going to have to choose one at some point and probably bounce back and forth between both. And what I never had even considered was I could actually have both. I could have the corporate crusty job, which maybe wasn't as crusty as I thought it would be. And I could live the life that I loved and do all the things I wanted to. Um, And and really what it took was some pretty awesome people who saw a greater possibility for me than, than myself, which Mm -hmm. that's always a cool experience. And like, I'd had that experience in sports, like that coach in sports, like Mm -hmm. you can do more and, and push you. And and I'd never had that experience in a working environment. Yeah. That's kind of like the value of a, a mentor or a coach or somebody who, They've maybe um, met a lot of people who've been in similar situations and you're only living your one life, you know, so you don't necessarily have that outside perspective, but they can see that you don't necessarily fit into the mold that you think you're in. and You got a whole lot to uncover, you know, that maybe you haven't even realized this yet. But you, you played um, you played college sports. Yeah, I played lacrosse in college. Nice. How was that experience? You lo- Did you love it or was it? One of those things that when you were done, you were ready to wrap it up. That was probably the one thing in college I wasn't I wasn't quite ready to wrap up. I was I felt very complete at the end of college. I was I was ready to move on, so I didn't know what to. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I loved my lacrosse team. I I picked a small school in Washington, and we were a club sports team, and it was it was serious in that. We really cared, and the guys were committed. Um, and it wasn't serious in that we didn't have scholarships or anything. Which um, I think there's a lot of really good things that come from that, like the the camaraderie and the the brotherhood that was created as a team was just it was so wonderful. Uh, I remember my lacrosse days so fondly. Yeah, well, I feel like uh, a lot of that that team environment or that culture. I mean even just talking to you before we um, got on this podcast and whatever, and even talking to Vince, like just hearing about the culture at Lululemon, it sounded like it was like legitimately like a team environment where people, people liked each other. Like, you know what I mean? You guys had like chemistry Mm -hmm. and it was like more than just show up and punch the clock and, you know, spit out the lines that they told you to say to people, but like you cared about people that you worked with and stuff like that. Is that kind of the experience that you had while you were there? It's it's funny you say that. There's like something I've been chewing over, which will probably be a, a blog post in the near future is like the notion of needs. Mm-hmm. It's like there's, there's, you know, we have our basic needs as people, but if you look at it from a business standpoint, there's a lot of decisions to make from a needs perspective, there's the business needs, there's financial needs, 
just people needs and, and one that, you know, when we I look at my experience in teams, whether it's lacrosse or organizations in university or different organizations I've worked with or, or even Lululemon, it's the human needs that really stand out to me is when a team is just nailing it, because what they care most about are the human needs. And there's, like you said, there's that connection of everyone's got each other's back and they understand the team's purpose rather than what they individually want to get out of it uh, more than anything. Yeah, that's that's powerful stuff, man. I mean, I play sports myself, so I could kind of relate because it's a lot different when you're in that group environment. And even when you're going through something that's tough and you've got other people to kind of, uh, you know, facilitate your best performance, even when you don't think that you could pull it out or even when you do think you're doing well, they can show you how you could do better or different things like that. You know, I think like you said, the human side of things is really what, you know, a lot of businesses that do very well, I feel like that's what they, they pull out of the people who work for them and work with them. Like that human aspect of, okay, I want to be a part of something that's bigger than myself and I want to contribute. I want to have purpose. Yeah. Well, it's, uh, I love that. Like you think about it in a football example, if I come in and teach you I never played football. Teach you some cool thing that football people do. <laughs> like a footwork technique. That's something. If you're like, this guy played sports. Right. Um, but I teach you a footwork, a footwork technique because I want something for the team. Like you get that and you care and you're, you're smart and you can rationalize it. But if I do, because I actually care about you as a human and I know that you being the best human you can be will have the biggest impact on the team you receive that differently. You experience it differently. And you actually, like, it builds a connection between you and me rather Mm -hmm. than a connection between me and the team and you as a part of that. Right. So I want to talk a little bit about um, dose performance coaching. And I I feel like it's it's pretty cool because there's so many different things I want to ask you about it. But really, you're taking those kinds of uh, team elements and those kind of principles that people learn and um, lean on in a team, and you can kind of bring them into a one-on-one coaching situation. And I think your tagline is like, distill your genius, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so it's like, it's, I mean, it goes a little bit back to the coffee thing kind of, but it's like, you really got all of this talent or potential that's inside of you and you're not really here to teach people as much as you are here to show them how to bring their own talents out of themselves right i'm so glad this is recorded i love what you said i like i don't know if i could say it better it's it's exactly that is the way i've always envisioned it is think of the moments in your day where you have your best ideas Mm -hmm. 99 out of 100 people that i ask that that the main times are in the shower, going mm-hmm. to bed, mm-hmm. or like it, it, wherever someone works out. Like if you go for a run or you do CrossFit or you go to yoga. So it's these three main buckets of time when you have no pen, no paper, no ability to write down these great ideas. And I, I'm sure at some point we'll, we'll touch on my deep passion for neuroscience, but from a neuroscience standpoint, what that actually indicates is the process of insight takes a lot of focus and then a shift in focus to something else for us to have the insight on that thing which we were focusing on prior. 
So when I go and take a shower, I could have spent my whole day thinking about something. And all of a sudden in the shower, I let my brain relax. I stop trying to find the answer. And all of a sudden, boom, neural connections are created and, and I experience insight. So what I really believe a, a great coach can do with clients or teams is support them in the process of finding all those genius thoughts that you have at all those inopportune times and actually creating an opportune space to have those genius insights and distill them down into simple and doable things that, that drive performance. It's like my goal in an hour with a client is to have all these genius ideas percolate and bubble up and then someone walks away feeling so clear on what they need to do or what they need to be aware of or, or just a general sense of direction, uh, which, you know, that, that feels good. It, it's rewarding for us as people. Right, right. Because a lot of times I feel like we try so hard and like we're just pushing, pushing, pushing. And we, we have answers that are literally right in front of us. But sometimes we're so deep into that grind or whatever it is that we can't even see the answers that are right in front of us. And you need somebody to kind of pull you back and be like, wait, hold on, just look at it like this. And and then things kind of reveal yeah. themselves to you, right? Totally. Well, it's, it's like the example you're out with friends and someone mentions a movie and someone's like, oh, who's who's that actor? And then you sit there for 10 minutes and it, like, it hurts your brain <laughs> to try and think that. of who that actor is. Yeah. And, smartphones and, and Google has become a really simple answer. And then there's the people like, no, like we must feel it because the experience of that, that connection, that insight of, Oh, it's this person. Mm -hmm. it, it actually feels good. Like there's neurotransmitters that are released in our brain that, that make us feel rewarded because that's insight. Right. So what, what I see that coaching offers is the experience of creating that um, without having the struggle of, and who is it? Oh, it's Ashton Kutcher. Gotcha. You know, like, because you can't Google some of the questions that we would work with around coaching because there's not an answer. Right. So it's pretty cool. The perspective that you bring to coaching because you have the athlete background and then you've got kind of the more formal, you know, corporate background of coaching, working with, you know, executives, working with, um, you know, different staff members on different varying levels of an organization. But then you also got the educational background where you really understand the development and the inner workings of the human brain. So like you're putting it together from like a multidisciplinary perspective. Um, you're talking about neuroscience before and you're, you're a master's student currently. Tell us a little yeah, bit about... Yeah, I'm a candidate for my master's. So tell us a little bit about what you're studying in school right now and how like neuroscience, cognitive neuroscience, how does that relate to leadership or any of the topics that we're kind of addressing now? Like, why are you studying cognitive neuroscience? It's funny, like, even if I weren't doing what I do, I think I'd still be studying it because it fascinates me. So it's something I'm, I'm really passionate about sharing with people is why I'm studying it is because it fascinates me. Mm -hmm. And it works out great because it actually makes me a lot better at my job. But <laughs> There's, it's easy. I used to have the mentality of any degree I get needs to have a utilitarian value. And the irony is I'm now getting a degree that 
regardless of its utilitarian value, it has an intrinsic fulfillment for me. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, gosh, gotcha. so there's a lesson in there for me. Um, and the from a utilitarian sense, why why cognitive neuroscience? If we look at the topics of leadership and performance and working with teams in a coaching capacity, the one tool we're consistently using across all of those conversations is our mind. Mm-hmm. And yet, what's the one tool that most of us know very, very little about? It's our mind. Like, mm-hmm. If I were to ask you, like, how's your brain work? You'd probably <laughs> laugh at me and be like, things happen. And like, the brain is so freaking complex. Right. And we know so little about it. And what I was finding is, for me, in a coaching capacity, I found things grounded in here's how your brain works really compelling. Mm-hmm. And I was also finding a lot of people I worked with were the same, and yet there weren't a lot of resources out there. And there's a lot of people who will talk to it. And I was like, well, I want to be able to talk to it, but I feel like I need, I have the responsibility to do the work myself and get a deeper understanding. And that's how the masters came about. And one of the main things I've learned is how little we actually know about the brain and um, how many claims there are out there of brain science proves this. And, and that's become my first red flag. Like anytime I see an article on LinkedIn or Facebook about how brain science has proved X, um, it means I, I should probably read it and find out, is that actually true? And, and did the science actually support the claim that's being made? Uh, because what I'm passionate about is responsibly sharing what brain science has proved rather than making some pretty bold claims of if you eat chocolate once a week, you'll live 10 times longer. Right, right, um, right. Which is, that's a, it's a real article. Are you serious? <laughs> and it's, it's not necessarily <laughs> true. Yeah, there, there's some pretty wild ones. But it's, it's no different than journals or um, news articles. Like, if you just read the title, you miss a lot of the substance. But right. Right. we live in a culture where we do that so much. Mm-hmm. So, Part of my, the responsibility I have in my job is to read the article and, and understand the research and help people distill down the meaning there. So, again, like the, the term of distilling really comes up for me. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you take great responsibility in the knowledge that you hold. And I feel like that's something leaders ought to do. You know, if we're coming to you or any other coach or, you know, mentor or advisor, we're trusting in the fact that they've had the experience or they've done the research to be able to give us the best advice. And I feel like if you want to be a great leader, you have to take on that responsibility and be accountable for the things that you're teaching to the people that you're working with. Because I mean, it's a trust, it's a relationship that you're building and you can't violate that trust because these people need you in a sense. They, they are making themselves vulnerable to you in that Whatever you say or suggest, they're going to adopt in as a part of their new perspective and of their lifestyle. So your approach to leadership, it it reflects how you've been led by other people in your life and how you value the role of a, a true leader, in my opinion, at least. Oh, absolutely. I, I love how you say that because it's, you, you can see the paradox of, on one hand, it is so intoxicating for us to have an answer for someone. Like we, we love to solve problems. Again, we get neurotransmitter releases like crazy when you have a question like, here's the answer. Like it's why people like watching Jeopardy. Oh, that's so my there's show. an inherent reward 
Yeah, right? Like there's an inherent reward to knowing the answer. So then we put ourselves in corporate environments or, or team environments where someone has a question and our bias is to do whatever we can to have the answer because then we feel needed and socially included and accepted. And as important as that is, the paradox is also remembering that a lot of times we don't actually have the answer. Mm-hmm. We, we could ask a better question that gets us no further in finding the answer, but actually creates a depth of experience or exploration that is far more valuable. Mm-hmm. But that, that's a bit more of a trained habit because it's not naturally as rewarding. Because the results may not come for six months, right. like investing versus going and buying candy today. So what what really inspired you to start, you know, getting into performance coaching and really working with people and trying to help them become the best version of themselves? What what kind of things were you seeing in the world that let you know you had an opportunity to share your expertise in that way? That's a really good question. It's uh, I, I, it's almost like two things collided. So on one hand, I've been super fortunate to have had a lot of space in my life, and, and I'm really proud that I've actually created a lot of that space, and I'm also lucky that I've had a lot of space to be reflective and analyze who I am and, and what I'm up to, whether it was from my choices in studying abroad to the fact that I'm an only child. So. I spent a lot of time alone growing up, which when I say that, I'm like, oh, this sounds so sad. But like, I remember sitting and playing ping pong with myself, like holding the table up and, and just hitting the ball against the other side of the table over and over and just thinking about things. And then I became a philosophy major, which means I like to think about things. So I've had these beautiful experiences throughout my life of that and realized how much I've grown and how much I still have to grow. So there was a, a desire to, how do I be cause in giving that space for other people? And then the other side um, kind of comes down to like the, the things that we want to see change in the world are become our, our passions. So for me, it was, I've had experiences as bad leaders or inauthentic leaders or people who drive for performance through the means that I disagree with. So it's like, we've got to hit these metrics for this reason, rather than what if we hit these metrics because we actually care about this mm-hmm. and the metrics are a byproduct. And um, I've, I've always been a bit of a rebel, like the, the idea of going against the grain, is just so appealing to me. So a coaching, I get it and kind of push and challenge people. So that's exciting for me naturally, but it's also um, a forum for me to help people stop and actually question what are the beliefs I have about the world and are they true? Which has been a profound question for me throughout my life. Again, growing up in small Idaho, which is like a very conservative community, especially like in the 90s and 80s when I was growing up, to now living in Vancouver, British Columbia. Like I have friends who are like, you live in Canada? (laughs) There's socialist there's socialists up there. I'm like, yes. <laughs> and they're amazing. You can meet one. <laughs> but it is like just every every year of my life, probably every week of my life, I feel like I meet someone new that expands my my beliefs around reality. And um 
I, I see coaching as the form where I can support the world in doing that as well. Man, that's amazing because so many people look at the world as like this, this humongous, um, you know, this, this terribly overwhelming place to live in where you really can't make a difference or affect change. But I like how you, you uh, frame your goals in a sense that you want to identify what you want to change in the world. And that's kind of what motivates you, you know, based on the skills that you have and your perspectives and stuff like that, you're thinking about it and how can I leave this place better than I found it? And I think that's kind of refreshing because it's ambitious in and of itself. And a lot of people wouldn't really go out and start something with that kind of, you know, meaning behind it. Yeah. It's, it's funny. One of the words that I, I play with words a lot, maybe that's, apparent but you know I, I think people get so stuck on the term purpose and i get it like what is my purpose holy crap what a big freaking question and for some people it comes and it clicks and that's awesome and for others they spend 20 years struggling trying to find their purpose and then make a lot of other decisions because they haven't found it and the pursuit that i found is just a lot more nourishing is rather than asking what's my purpose is looking at what's my contribution mm. what are the tools and skills that i have to offer and how do i contribute them in a meaningful and relevant way and if i'm constantly asking myself that question i will either discover a larger purpose or i'm going to live life that's really fulfilling because i as a human i believe we care about contributing mm -hmm. right because we're we're we want to be, um, as we were saying earlier, we want to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. So I, I got a question for you. Like, what were some of the, what were some of the things that you had to do in the early stages to really put those coaching together? Because in some sense, it's kind of abstract, you know, but now we sit down here and we break it down. It's so clear to me the value that you could bring to somebody if you, you know, sat down with them and gave them an opportunity to talk go through some sessions and whatnot, but how did you first decide to like package up your skill set and offer it to people? Was that a barrier for you or did you really find that it was easy for you to kind of put it together when you first had the idea for Dose? This is such a good entrepreneur question. Okay. Because on one hand, I'm like, oh, it's easy. Like it was always so clear in my mind, but then I actually say that I'm like, was it? <laughs> like it took a lot of work and, mm -hmm. and a lot of framing. And I, I remember sitting down with uh, a guy who was like a, an acquaintance and we kind of became friends and, and now like we work together, but you know, we were talking about his business and he's a CEO of, of a company. And we were talking about my business as founder of Dose Coaching. And I remember sitting there and him looking, he's like, don't take this the wrong way because I totally get that what you do is so important, but how do you convince people to work with you? <laughs> I was like, I mean, yeah, sometimes it's kind of hard. He's like, yeah, because it's so ambiguous, like performance and coaching. He's like, and it's not like you're a business consultant or, you know, all these things. And it was, so it, when you asked that, I was like, oh, yeah, like there, did, there was a lot of consideration that, that went into it. Um, and it's interesting starting a business as a coach, uh, the benefit I have is I've worked with so many genius business leaders that like, through osmosis, I feel like I've gained a lot of insight mm -hmm. and 
I've had to continually stop and say, what is my way of doing it? And what do I care about attempting to create in the world? So the one thing I'm clear on is I'm a great coach. I'm not doing this because I want to be a great business leader. I know I need to be an intelligent and responsible business leader. But ultimately, the, the success and growth of Dose is because I'm super clear on what my contribution is, which mm. is coaching. Get an hour with me and let me ask you questions and something great will happen. I just believe that. Mm-hmm. So how do I build my business around maximizing my ability to do that and the time I spend doing that? Um, and it's really easy to get sucked into, yeah, there's that, but ooh, like, I need to become a social media genius in order to do that. It's like, what's, what's the value of me spending time on social media in that it directly supports me coaching versus me becoming a business with a huge social media presence and, oh, by the way, I'm a coach. Mm-hmm. I, I spend so much time working with people who've lost their way because they got sucked into the things that they were good at rather than things that they love doing. Um, that it's, it's really important for me to constantly ask myself that question of how do I do the things I love doing uh, and not get sucked into the things that are flashy and shiny or, or all that. Yeah. And I think like you were saying, when you identify your contribution, your purpose kind of reveals itself. So it seems like, you know, you keep yourself pointed towards that North star by asking yourself that question of like, how do I, stick to what I love and how do I keep bringing myself back to my original mission? Cause that's the most important thing. You got to stay authentic in everything you do as a business owner, as a leader, as a coach, as a mentor, I feel like just in general, as a human being, like if you could be authentic more often than not, you're going to put yourself in a, a good situation. Yeah. I, I love the connection you made there because it really comes back to, I want to run my business the same way I run my life. And it's, as, as a human. So I want to run a human-based business. And if I can't do that, then who can? Because I'm in the perfect opportunity to do it. Like I'm a guy who coaches people on connecting to what it means to be human and to perform and be a leader in that capacity. Mm-hmm. If my business model isn't built around that approach, I've lost. Right. I found something on your blog that was like, and I mean, I after reading a whole bunch of your blogs, because they have this kind of viral sense to them. They're almost written like, (laughs) like limerick poems or something like that. They're all really short. And I mean, it's called dose. So it's just a little bit of what you need. Right. But there you go. They're all written in such a way that like, you can read the whole blog post in like three minutes. And then the next one is just waiting for you right there at the bottom. And you're like, Oh, well, that only took a couple of minutes. Let me read the next one. And and then you read the next one. And you're like, oh, that was good. Oh, look, there's another one right here. Let me read that one. And then the next thing you know, you, you read 10 blogs in a row like that. That was a awesome strategy where you didn't have to sell me on anything, but you just set yourself up for success by setting me up to have a good time reading the information that you have for me. Like, was that how you originally launched your blog or like, did you see that strategy somewhere else or how did you come up with the idea or what kind of thoughts went into you creating your blog? Cause I feel like it's one of the best blogs that I've read personally. Thank you for that. That, that means a lot to me. Um, so where, where morning cup came from 
again, the coffee reference, um, <laughs> is, is it came from a couple places. So I started writing it, oh my gosh, either three years or four years ago. I should know that. But three or four years ago, um, I, I started writing it because I realized there, there was a need for someone to be having conversations around leadership and culture in simple and digestible ways that like what I love, again, something I love about coaching is it makes people think it makes the coach think it makes the coachee think it causes thinking to happen. And so I was asking myself the question of what else could I do to generate thinking for the world? And, and in a way that's a bit more general and not like, okay, I had a one hour conversation with a person. Um, and so that's, that's really where morning step came from is what is the thing I could write to generate thought? It's not about like, what's my opinion or what's my perspective, but it's more, what's, what's the thing I could throw out there that sparks discussion. And then what it really has become for me is it's my personal practice of distilling my own genius. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm fortunate enough to have these awesome conversations all week long with people like you, like, this, this conversation is great. And, and there's things that I get from it that an hour from now will kind of settle in for me. And so what I realized is I, I have a responsibility to share that with the world. And how do I take all the great insights that I experienced throughout the week, distill one of them down into something that is simple and digestible. And my goal is that someone could read it in two minutes or less. Because I, I get that people don't want to read a 20 minute blog. And that, it's funny. Like, I get it's a blog and I don't even think of it as a blog. It's just like a dose of whatever terrible way to sell it. <laughs> but <laughs> it is, it's just like that little, you know, there's an email function that the people can receive it as an email. Um, it's a little thing that hits your inbox sometime between four thirty and, and seven thirty in the morning, depending what time zone you live in on Fridays. And the reason I like that it hits Fridays is that's the morning that throughout my life I wake up and like, I just, I need to see or read or watch something that reminds me of life. Mm -hmm. and, and I think it's, it's a really good way to go into Friday. Man, that's awesome. Cause it's definitely effective. And to me, it, it illustrates the fact that you, you know, while you have the soft skills of you know, executing your talent inside of your business, you also got some of the, you know, more formal skills of like strategy and building systems that mm. allow you to be super efficient. So um, what what is like one of the main systems, I would say, um, that allows you to be effective or efficient? Or like, do you have routines? Or do you have, you know, certain protocols that you follow that allow you, for example, to make sure that every coaching um, meeting that you have is the best that it can be. Like, do you have routines, protocols, mm, systems? Mm -hmm. Do you have those kinds of things in place? Yeah. Oh my gosh. I, I would die if I didn't. <laughs> I'm a relatively like slow, like the image of a slug comes to mind. Like I'm a relatively slow, methodical person. Mm -hmm. So if I didn't have systems, I would accomplish one thing a week. Right. Or I'd get just, I would become fixated on one thing and it would end up being so intricate that at the end of the week, it's like, why did I spend so much time? So uh, there's two things that come to mind. One, like uh, 
a really simple system or, or tool that I use is, is my calendar. My calendar is my best friend. Mm-hmm. And even if I don't stick to it, knowing that I'm constantly, like I don't go an hour without looking at my calendar just to know where am I, where do I need to be, and do I need to pivot? Mm-hmm. And that, that routine and habit of constantly having a conversation with my calendar is it's what keeps me moving rather than getting stuck and fixated on something that's distracting because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm having to consciously make that decision of, oh, I, I need to pivot or I need to stay right here. And then from a routine standpoint, uh, it's interesting being an entrepreneur. Um, my business is to create time and, and serve my clients or potential clients. So really, if a client's like, I want to work right now, who am I to say no? <laughs> because right. I, like, I need to eat. <laughs> I need to pay rent. <laughs> um, and what I found is there's a way to structure my life that I don't get sucked into that whole like startup life or the grind or the hustle, which coming into creating a startup, my first mission was I want to create a startup without getting sucked into the culture of it's 24 seven, 365. Right. I want to love my life and create a startup, mm-hmm. which was, is un, maybe not unfortunately, but surprisingly a very unique perspective I'm finding. That is very true. I'm sure there's plenty. Maybe there's a lot of people who are like, this guy's an idiot. Like that's not unique. But um, the thing that I've found that has kept me to that is, in starting a business, pursuing my master's, and living a life that I actually really enjoy, I have to create a routine and a flow of when am I working, when am I not working, and how do I flex? So I love working in the mornings, and I actually really like working out in the afternoon, which works out great because a lot of my clients, like that one to four block, it's, it's not super busy. I'm like, great, I can do work in the morning, I can go to the gym in the afternoon, and then I actually do a lot of work in the evening. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm a very evening, late night person anyways. So mm-hmm. I've structured the way I work within my business around not only my lifestyle, but also the needs of my business in a way that, that really flows nicely. Mm-hmm. So within two weeks of being on my own with Dose, um, I realized like, there's no such thing as a week in my life. Like, it's not, oh, okay, today's Monday, and therefore I have seven days until Monday is back. Like today's Monday and tomorrow's Tuesday and in 20 days, it's 20 days from now. Right. It's just this continuous flow. Like the, the structure changes. Mm-hmm. And I, I find it really rewarding. Like I don't feel compacted into, I have to do these things in this week. It's what are the things that I'm doing that are driving my life? And what are the things that I'm doing that are driving my business? And what's my order of priority? Right. And then what are the timelines? Man, that's awesome. You, you got it things organized and not necessarily just your to-do list, but your priorities are organized. I feel like a huge challenge that a lot of entrepreneurs face and a lot of just ambitious people altogether, like they are not necessarily working on what they're building, but they're inside of it, just working like mad, trying to stay afloat, you know? So they don't get a chance mm-hmm. to to put that kind of system in place that allows them to flourish because they're so close. They're so down knee deep in it that, you know, it's just, what do I got to do next? What do I got to do next? Okay. Alarm clock went off. Now I got to go here. Now I got to do that. And they don't, like you said, they don't enjoy the process and they're not 
designing a lifestyle that they really want. You know, they're just sacrificing going to an office and working to, you know, having their own office and still breaking their back, breaking their neck the same way that they would have if they were getting their salary from somebody else. So I think it's important that you distinguish between, you know, that grind, that hustle and trying to fit your your lifestyle into a box of this is when this has to happen and then redefining what the boundaries are, setting your own boundaries so that like you also account for, you know, the things that you need to to be whole in your own life. Cause that's that's huge, man. At the end of the day, if you don't have peace of mind, if you don't have comfort, you know, if you can't enjoy the fruit of your labor, then there really is no point in the labor. Hundred percent. And it's this isn't to say I don't work hard, but I'm also I'm strategic and I'm I'm smart about it. It's like I, I think the classic CrossFit term uh, is like work work smarter, not harder. Maybe mm. it's not a CrossFit thing. <laughs> that doesn't but, sound like CrossFit to me, but maybe maybe it is. But... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're right. They, they work so hard, <laughs> but it's I like I look at that and and to me what it comes down to is like the, a lot of people I think experience a contradiction of success. Of if we were to sit and talk about what does success mean for you as a human. They would get, give answer A, but then it's what does success look like in terms of your business? They give answer B. Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, then there's a contradiction because mm. for me, success doesn't look different across business or, or life. It's success is success. And for mm. me, success is contentment. And finding contentment through the way I'm living my life and conducting my business is the ultimate success. Mm-hmm. And the moment that I stop putting that as the priority, I've lost access to what is ultimately successful for me. Man, that is extremely profound. And I feel like if you're listening to this right now, you probably need to go back, skip back, you know, about a minute and a half, re-listen to that, and then skip back and listen to the whole thing over again, because there's too many jewels for you to really <laughs> take in the first time over. So, hey, David, we're we're almost getting to an hour now. I feel like we could talk all day about this kind of stuff. But I want to ask you two questions that we ask everybody who comes to the Come Up podcast. And the first one is the first one is is the superhero question. All right. So basically, (laughs) you don't have a cape, you don't have the bat belt and you don't shoot spider webs from your wrist. But Every day you are a superhero and you're saving people and you're doing amazing feats. But we want to know what is what is the skill that makes you most effective? What is your superpower that you use day to day to make you so amazing? Um, it's listening, like really taking the time to listen and, and hear the words that people choose and the emotions that people express. And rather than jumping to conclusions and, and thinking, like listening and asking, one of the virtues of, of those coaching is curiosity, asking curious questions to deepen my understanding. Mm, man, that's huge. And I feel like a huge part of leadership is understanding who you're leading and how you can actually help them reach their potential. So that's a big key right there. If you're a yeah. coach, if you're a coach, you got to listen up. I mean, you could you could throw a little uh, cherry on top of that if you want. <laughs> I like that. But uh, no, okay. Well, okay. Then I got one more question for you. Okay. So I'm gonna give you a microphone. Not to say that I haven't already, but I'm gonna give you a microphone, and I'm gonna give you like thirty seconds to a minute 
And really, this is the one chance you have where every single person on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, every single person watching TV, every single person out there in the world is going to get your message. But you only have, you know, about a minute to do it. What is the advice that you would have for all those ambitious souls out there? Okay, 30 seconds. Go. Slow down. And honestly, I could leave it right there. Slow down. And, And what I mean by it is you have so much genius running through your brain every second of the day. If you, if people just slowed down a little bit and captured some of it along the way, the impacts on performance are profound. And I like, I almost scientifically can vouch that every single person I've worked with who's just slowed down a little instantly realizes how much more value they can offer the, the world around them. Wow, man, that's amazing. Yeah, we, I don't think we slow down enough, man. That's, uh, I love this part of the show because I always just, I'm like, yeah, that's true. Damn. <laughs> you just got to sit and let that marinate, man, because the best advice is often just simple and easy to understand, but it's the stuff that you take for granted, man. Everybody, y'all need to slow down and start listening a little bit more deeply and intently. So, David, why don't you tell the people of the TCU podcast where they can connect with you, where they can read your blog or find out a little bit more information about those performance coaching all right so my website is dosecoaching.com if you google dose coaching you'll find it Um, i'm proud that it's the number one search result under dose coaching so there you go that's cool to me seo Um, champion (laughs) yeah or something like that and then instagram dose coaching facebook dose coaching you're starting to see a theme i'm sure Mm -hmm. uh if you were to sign up for one thing in the world that I think is really the most valuable thing I do in my entire week, go to dose coaching slash distill your genius, uh, or click on the distill your genius tab on the homepage and sign up for morning cut. And it is a weekly email that it's that two minutes of your Friday morning that will uh, make your musing machine muse a little bit more. Nice, nice, nice. All right, guys. Well, you heard it here. We're talking with the man, the myth, the legend, David Ogle, who has just told you guys, you guys need to slow down and listen up a little bit because if you haven't identified your purpose, maybe you need to be focusing on your contribution and take some time to reflect and understand that a lot of the answers you're searching for are right in front of your face and you just need a little chance to unlock them. So until the next time on the Come Up Podcast, make sure you're doing something to take some steps towards success. I'm your man, Courtney tuning in to next week's episode where you'll be hearing from my man jimmy and another one of our partners robinson about how he started his own business while working full-time all right so thanks for tuning in and we'll talk to you next time Mm